0: Hello, listeners. It's Philip here. It's your favorite podcast, The Doubles Alley. I'm here with my brother, Peter, and my cousin, Mark. Um, And today, I guess in the spirit of the Jordan documentary, uh, competitiveness among great ones is our topic. And uh, initially, we were going to talk about the best 15 matches ever. But then we realized such a large percent of them were played among the big three that we're doing our five best matches from each of the three rivalries. So there'll be the five best matches from the Federer-Djokovic rivalry, the five best matches from the Nadal-Djokovic rivalry, and the five best matches from uh, the Nadal-Federer rivalry. Um, We're going to profile those, and maybe in a future podcast, we'll do best non-Big Three matches. Um, But first, before we get into that... uh, Mark, is there a rivalry that you've been a part of that uh, that you were that just really stands out in your mind as like something that formed who you who you are or like enhanced your view of human nature?
1: Actually, there's I'll give two. There's one rivalry that actually just enhanced my view of myself, which was and you guys relate when you when you're a little bit in in your earlier years in college, you always have to sort of you know. Uh, uh, fight for your position in the lineup. So I started as number 12 on the Tufts team, and I would challenge my way up. And there was, you know, you, I did, as long as I was in top 10, I knew I could play in the match. So there was one guy I think I had to challenge him, challenge up three times. A couple seniors would quit for different reasons. And so I, I think I beat him two or three times in matches. And then over the next two years, I also um, won challenge matches against him. Uh, although I went about... Five years later, after I graduated college, I applied for a job. And I think that he was part of human resources there. And he just, once he saw my application, he automatically rejected me. So he got the last laugh. But I remember him telling me, I think after I beat him in like the fifth challenge match in a row, he told me, you know, the only time I don't get stoned is before challenge matches against you. And after that, I thought to myself, maybe... After the third time, he should have reconsidered his strategy and actually smoked (laughs) before we played. So that one's always stuck in my head for a while. Yeah. Oh, and then I remember the last one. It was just for number 10 because I had taken a semester off and I came back I had to work my way up the lineup. And I remember beating him for number 10. It was right before um, Nationals. And he said, would you let me – can you just let me play? You know, I, I I did an extra semester. I'm in my fifth year just so I could play. In these nationals it would be an act of altruism and i said you know i've always considered myself a generous person except when it comes to competition i'm going to take the spot so (laughs) that was it for me
0: good for you yeah for me uh um there's a certain type of rivalry where you are somebody else's rival like they see you as a rival but you don't see them as a rival and it's just like on the one hand a little bit cute but on the other (laughs) hand just like kind of annoying um, and what comes to mind is like Penn, like I went to Princeton and Penn always sees Princeton as their rival, but Princeton sees itself as <laughs> out of Penn's league. So it's like one of those where it's like Penn's like, oh, we're it's the Princeton match. And we're like, yeah, which means Yale is tomorrow. <laughs> 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 That's yeah.
1: funny, but well, just just to follow that up though, just just you know, because you only have street cred if you won every match you played against Penn. So did you at least take care of business in your glorified warm-up for the o match the next day?
0: Yeah, we'll say yes. Um, I actually don't of- remember, but um, <laughs> I think it's yes.
1: I think you'd remember if you lost. So there you go. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about you, Peter?
2: So along similar lines, when thinking through my past rivals. My mind immediately ventured towards people who likely don't consider me a rival. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, like, there's there's one guy who I played a couple of matches against in, like, big stages of college squash, um, like, in the finals of nationals and the semifinals of nationals. And he beat me um, in five, both times. And, and they were very, very close matches. Um, and in juniors, we had played and I had actually, <laughs> him. um, and it was like back and forth, but he has the dramatically more successful body of work than I do. So he would actually probably find me as a rival, like insulting. Yeah. You um, would, you would be his pen. Yeah. And, and there's another guy who I had a couple of matches against in junior squash that were pretty heartbreaking, but he beat, he four times I beat him once.
1: Yeah, Phil Sofer, so we know that, that, that,
2: yeah. that doesn't So I, I won't really count that. I, I think the two closest that come to mind is a rival, as rivals, one is another one who would be insulted by the concept that I'm his rival. Um, so it's probably not that. But um, he was a freshman, he was a senior, and I was a freshman, and we, we sort of traded wins against each other on the, cha- on the, on the challenge ladder. He, he ended up getting definitely the way better of me when the years we overlapped. But over time, I, I got better. And, um, and then we played each other a few times in D.C. the year after I graduated, so I still had some game. And three years after he graduated, and I would just routinely stomp him. And he would get like, pissed every single time because it was one of those things where even though I would stomp him, he still considered himself better than me. <laughs> And there was was one time where... It's that David
1: Canner guy, right?
2: No, no, I'm not David (laughs) Canner. This is Tom McKay. And there was one time where I beat him, and I was like, Tom, I should be beating you. Like, I graduated last year. You graduated three years ago. Um, And, like, I still have some of my game. And he took, like, he took, like, it seemed like he was just, like, he he just hated that explanation,
1: <laughs> and,
2: and, 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 and uh, but I, I don't think he considers me a rival just because he um I don't know he's like six five was cool big guy on campus kind of guy and and like it's just he, he does not consider me a rival in 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 many in in pretty much anything, um, but I think my actual rival might have been. Um, this guy on the Princeton team who, uh, it was the year, it was the one year both, either of us was, it was unclear whether we would make the starting lineup, and so we played basically three different challenge matches that ended up be, being wars, and I was able to like, be the number nine on our team, which was the final starter that year, but the year after that, he was better than me, and so we sort of had a back and forth.
0: Yeah, I think a common. Th- I think it's very rare to have like an equal rivalry, and I think you sort of have to be at the top of the f- of the craft or the field for it to be like a clear rivalry. Because usually one guy is better than the other. If if like you always sort of associate with the guy who's beating you by just a little bit, rather than the guy who you're beating by just a little bit. So, yeah, exactly. So that's like why. Uh, why the big threes rivalries are so awesome because they're they are at the top so uh yeah let's get into it Um, let
1: let me just let me preface that by saying do you think any of the rivalry started with the kind of dynamic that you guys have described where only one of them saw it as a rivalry and and the other one just sort of saw it as uh as a um hoop that had to be jumped through but then it morphed into a rivalry um, sooner than expected, or it morphed into a rivalry that that uh, at least the one who was usually on top did not anticipate. Or do you think they could have sensed rivalry, or at least the potential to be a rivalry from the start?
0: I think Nadal and Federer was always a rivalry. Um, Djokovic sort of had to like work his way into the mix, but like once he once he got into the mix, once he got into the conversation, um, he was pretty quickly the best of the three so it was like he was actually never sort of on equal footing as the other two he was always either worse or better but like very rarely equal i mean you I,
1: thought, I thought when nadal took out fed the first time nadal, uh, nadal was 17 a total unknown down here in miami and he took fed out when fed i don't even know if you guys know about that match the year before yeah. nadal started to have his rise and he, Took him out and said, holy cow, this six, guy six can... four six two. Yeah, apparently
0: yeah. I saw an interview yeah. with Federer. Apparently he knew immediately that this guy would be around for a while.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: But Joker, going back to Djokovic, Nadal had a seventeen to five edge in their head to head at one point. Well wow. and now Djokovic leads twenty
1: nine to twenty six. That's crazy. So do we start with that? Do you do you wanna you since you get you do you wanna start with dessert there, Peter or what? Yeah, so I guess um
2: I guess the format of this pod is that uh, each of us is going. So, Mark Philip has Nadal versus Federer. Mark has Federer versus Djokovic, and I have Djokovic versus Nadal. Um, and we're going to go through the top five matches of these rivalries. Um, and I guess I can start with the first of Nadal versus Djokovic, or the the, the fifth of Nadal versus <laughs> Djokovic. The and first I, of the fifth. And I, I think five. number five. Um, this was not a Grand Slam match, and so this is so that's part of why it's docked. And this was not a best of five match, so that's why it's docked. But there was a there was a Madrid semifinal. I think it was in two thousand eight. It was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine, where Nadal beat Djokovic 9, 11, nine in the in the third set tiebreak, and uh, that was back when um, Nadal really had was the fastest person on tour. And um, it was more of a, it, it was more of what, it was more of like a, um, the kind of battle you see in like junior tournaments where both players are really fast, but you look back and the shots were a lot looser than, than what you typically expect of the, of the top dogs. And so I guess what's in, in looking back, what's remarkable is just how fast those guys were. Um, and also how far they've come, but just the level of competitiveness in that match was pretty special. Yeah, uh,
0: yeah. If you look at the YouTube video, uh, just like you can feel the intensity. Like their their level is different. Their games are different, but the intensity is like almost higher than it is now because they were still like becoming. Like now they're all they're all time greats, no matter what. Whereas then, like Djokovic was trying to break through, you know, and Nadal was trying to like maintain his like supremacy um and i think it sort of mattered more at that point even though it still matters but like one one thing about that match is like it was still when nadal had the mental edge so it was actually djokovic who had match point six five in the third set and nadal uh like just was like a mental fortress and like just refused to lose like had some amazing retrievals down like championship like down match point so it was sort of a blast from the past. Yeah, a yeah. good sense, I
1: sense that I sense that at least one of us, if not two of us, are already turned on just by that description alone. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Mark, Mark, do you have a uh, Federer joke? What's What's your number five for Federer? Uh, oh, we're gonna
1: we're gonna do it like that. Sure, I, I I like the way I like where you're going with this. Okay, so my my number five, um, you know, in, in a way, it's almost not fair to to two of the rivalry just to narrow down to five matches uh and i'm sure that you guys um i'm assuming that all of your matches are finals or semifinals. so mine actually have three finals and two semis but my number five is a uh is a final match 2014 wimbledon which was the beginning of their wimbledon finals rivalry for fed and djokovic that that went to joker in four sets but it was a uh it was a really hard-fought match. I feel like uh, I thought it was
0: a five-setter. I thought it was six-four. Is that like, a 5 set? Yeah, yeah. Federer was like. Did,
1: was it five? I thought the next year was the five-setter, and that was the four-setter. Yeah. Whichever one was the four-setter, they played two years in a row, and that, and I may have gotten gotten the two confused. I thought the two thousand fourteen was a four-setter, and two thousand fifteen was a five-setter.
0: Uh, I'll right. look it up right now. Um, two thousand fourteen Wimbledon was yeah was the five-setter. 2015 was the four-setter.
1: Okay, so, sorry, we'll, we'll just change the year. The 2015 four-setter, um, he could have easily gone five uh, for Djokovic to take him in Wimbledon two years in a row. Even though Fed was not necessarily at his peak, he was sort of a little bit on the decline. But Joker, um, you know, was pretty, he should have been pretty heartbroken after the French Open final, losing to Wawrinka. The fact that he sort of got his head together and got his game together to be able to beat Fed, you know, with a crowd even probably more against Djokovic than at any time before. I don't think he was getting the sympathy cheer. So that that that's what I have for number.
0: I think one thing I recall from that period is that Federer just looked decrepit. Like we thought it would be like the last of Roger. And like what's uh sort of it sort of like highlights how his like late career renaissance was just like outrageous. Like we thought he was like at the end of the rope in 2000, um, 2015, and five years later, we're st- he's still like one of the top top guys in the one of the only three guys we talk about when we talk about who might win a Grand Slam.
1: So, Phil, that was the last year also that Fed did play the French. I think he made the quarters or at least the round of sixteen. No, he played the French it, last
0: year. Remember he had that semifinal? No, i I'm sorry,
1: the last year before last year. I mean yeah, had, yeah. that was when he took his break of three or four years Do you think that part of why said was looking decrepit was that he really was physically deteriorating a little bit, that he had overplayed, sort of trying to keep up the ranking, and so the knee injury that he had the next year was a blessing in disguise?
0: Yeah, so his I, like he he was dealing with back issues throughout basically from like age thirty to like thirty four, basically. Um, and you kind of see it in his play, like he just sprayed a lot of forehands and his level like dropped quite a bit. And then he took that time off and he was magically Roger Federer again. Um, yeah, it makes you think, what if he took time off at 31 instead of waiting until 34 to do it? Um,
2: yeah, he, he had those amazing streaks, right? Like how many, how many majors in a row did he get to like the round of 16, the quarters, the semis? Um.
1: Forty or something like that, right?
2: And it's the kind of thing where um, you it, and he has this thing where he like he has like this tough guy thing where he, he like he's never retired from a match. Um, I feel like he's he's one of those guys who even if he's not a hundred percent, if he can play, he plays, mm. and and that may that may that mentality actually may have hurt him in the long run.
0: Yeah. Good call. Um, So I've got, I've got Fed Rafa. Um, I've got an honorable mention. Actually, this is, I guess, number six. Uh, it's my favorite of their matches. It was Roland Garris, 2008. Rafa beat him 6-1, 6-3, (laughs) 6-0. And Federer cried. like Rafa apologized uh, for beating him so badly in the, uh, the like trophy ceremony. Um, that was pretty great. Um, but i guess in terms of did, real did you matches like it because it,
1: it gave you enough time to enjoy the rest of the day like the fact that it was over by ten thirty, you could have breakfast yeah yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just found it so satisfying um but then uh there was also uh rome 2006 um was just like an incredible match um It was a five-setter. It's their longest match in history. I think Rafa was winning their head-to-head 4-1 at that point. Um, So, like, Rafa was two in the world. Federer was one. But Rafa was dominant on clay, and this match was on clay. Um, Federer – so Rafa double-faulted in the fifth set, serving at uh, 5-6 to give Federer two match points. And at uh, 15-40, Federer had, like, a sitting duck forehand that he, like – hit and it like went long and then uh it went to a tie break and Federer was up again in the tie break 5-3 <laughs> and had another like mid court forehand that he like sailed wide and Nadal like ended up winning the tie break um like winning the next four points and winning the tie break um and yeah that was just like an epic clash it sort of gets lost in the shuffle but it was actually featured on com today so uh you can you can go there for the – or YouTube for the highlights. It was pretty pretty awesome.
1: Would you just have people watch the fifth set? Would you have people watch the, just the last three games? What what would you do as a, tell them to watch? Yeah, I
0: mean, uh, it depends on how much time you have, you know? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, that was a really long match. Uh, but, I mean, what I usually do is I watch, like, the – yeah, the first uh, – I'll, I'll watch, like, the beginning when the players are fresh just to, like – Get a sense for these guys' levels, and then the end. Just to like, I'll like, I'll like, I'll put, I'll like, just fast forward it to the to the intense moments and see just like exactly what happened.
1: Makes sense. So, Peter, what's your number four? So the next
2: the next four I've structured around
1: the majors, Um, and
2: the fourth major. Um, is the U.S. Open. Um, two honorable mentions before going into the best U.S. Open clash of those. One is actually the U.S. Open lead-up. Um, in 2013, they had a, a, a third-set tie-break victory for Nadal at Montreal that sort of gave Nadal the confidence in the peak of Djokovic's prime to beat him at at uh, the U.S. Open in 2013. Um, that might actually be Nadal's most impressive major and most impressive feat that he was able to beat a prime Djokovic at a hard court major final. But I think that um, the fourth best match they've ever played, and this may just be a pet, uh, this may just be my favorite, is um, it was the 20, 2011 Wimbled- uh, U.S. Open final. I remember it was the first year I after I graduated college and had a real job, and I ducked out of work early that day just to <laughs> just to watch the match because I knew that that match would have much more of an effect on my happiness in the next <laughs> in the next three to four months than anything that happened at work. Um, and uh, Djokovic was just on fire. He he was so good. Um, he. Nadal was playing his best and really couldn't penetrate Djokovic. And it was, it was two love, and I think it was 5-3, Djokovic's lead in the third set. And then somehow Nadal just, like, willed his way to, like, up his level to an unsustainable um, unsustainable uh, level in order to win the, win the third set in the tiebreak that he never should have won. And then um, then he was just totally out of gas in the fourth set and lost at six one. But that one stands out to me for just because A it had Djokovic's dominance at his like top level when he was young enough to have his full athleticism and mature enough to have just his his incredible um, his incredible just consistency and, and mental fortitude. And it also hasn't at all just um sort of uh leveling up in almost an out-of-body way in order to um just because his fighting spirit was so strong
0: yeah i i marked actually the u.s open finals series just because like i think all three of their matches were awesome but none of them went five like the one in 2010 that nadal won the one in 2011 djokovic won the one in 2013 that um Nadal won. They were all just incredible matches, um, but one guy had the edge in each of those clashes. Like one guy was like slightly higher had like a slightly higher level in each of those clashes.
2: I'd actually, I'd actually uh, say, I'd actually counter that um, in 2013, the worst guy won. Um, I think Djokovic was actually better that year, but Nadal had some sort of sort of flow going mm. um, where he 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 um he won matches he he won he he won montreal and the us open as matches he he probably shouldn't have won um, but i guess i just thought that the that the that the um signatures and the merits and the and the trademarks of both players were at their most pronounced in 2011
0: yeah Mark, what about uh? So we're back to Fed Novak. What do you have for number four?
1: Well, yeah, he just said seg- uh, number four. So my number four, he just segued into it actually for me. Um, the one blip that Djokovic had in two thousand eleven, I think he had like a thirty-seven match winning streak, give or take five matches going into the French Open. He had won Australia. He had won almost everything on clay. And then Ariad won everything on clay and then Fed, you know, I think there was, there was quite a bit of, um, I don't know if animosity is too strong a word, but Fed, I don't know if Fed fully respected Novak yet, you know, Novak had only won two grand slams. So then Fed beat him in the 2011 French open, uh, French open semifinal and stopped his winning streak. And I think it was mainly because I, I well, mainly because a lot of reasons, but I Heard through the grapevine that Fred was telling, you know, most of the people in his inner circle that I am just not going to allow this guy to win the Grand Slam. He took it upon himself, I mean, uh, to to make sure that he was knocked out before the final. So I don't know if you remember that match. It's amazing did-
0: how, like, Federer's, like, competitiveness n- never leaks. Like, you sort of hear about, like, Adal saying things under his breath about Novak and Novak saying things under his breath about Rafa. But it's, yeah, it's rare you hear a story yeah. of, like, Federer, like, being like, yeah, I don't want that guy to beat me.
1: Yeah, or just, I don't want him in the Grand Slam. <laughs> yeah. The fact that he would have, like, so much momentum going into the finals against Rafa. I mean, not to say that Novak would have won the final, but but Fed, you know, did, left that out of the out of the discussion. Did so him so the it, favor. Yeah, Rafa yeah.
0: would have much rather played Federer than Novak. And, Rafa and I think it did wasn't
1: it. good. I, I think this, the final did go four, if I'm not mistaken. I think Fed played him tough, not tough enough to win, but tough enough to at least make an interesting match. So I would say that I think Fed would probably point to that and say that was at least one of his four or five, you know, most proud moments on clay
0: yeah um, I think Federer's one. most proud moment on hardcourt might have been my number three for the, the Rafa Fed rivalry and my number four for the rival Rafa Fed rivalry, which is the Aussie open uh, in 2017, where old man Roger seated I think number 17 in the draw, um, comes back to win it and no, just just arrives after a nine month layoff and wins the <laughs> tournament, um, Nadal was uh his big rival and Nadal was up a break in the fifth set um and Federer just right ra- raises his game and yeah and wins the tournament beating his greatest rival uh making it so that i think i think that was his uh 18th grand slam so, just
1: i think it was 17 uh, 17 and then he got two Two more Wimbies. No, no, no. No, no. He got he got right, that yeah, Aussie
0: yeah. and then a Wimby, and then another Aussie. Another Aussie. Yeah, you're right, the you're one right. against Cilic. So yeah, that was his 18th Grand Slam. Imagine if that match had uh, turned out the other way, Nadal would would uh, be the Grand Slam king um, right so now.
1: How, how many five set matches in a row did Fed have to win to, to win that title? Was it four? I think or was he, it five? he had
0: one against Stan in the semis. And then I think he had one against Burdich, actually. Uh, no, it was Nishikori. He Nishikori.
1: Nisha
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the Birch match was like a wake-up call that, this, that fed us for real. Yeah, yes. um,
0: but, yeah, the, 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 the Nishikori, yeah, we all thought. Um, but the thing is, those five setters were all, like, two hours, two and a half hours. He was just, like, playing very quick points. I see.
2: Yeah. I think the, um, the stand one was actually really a uh, – that, that was one of those where Federer took, like, even though he's like a sportsman 99% of the time, he, he took the goodwill that he's earned and cashed it, cashed in a little bit of it, because it was too, he, he was up two love, then Stan won the next two matches in just form. form. The next two sets, and then Federer took, like, an extra long bathroom break or something at the beginning of the, at the beginning of the fifth set. Um, and it stopped fan- Stan's momentum, and Federer was able to pull it, pull it through. Honestly, I think that match—if that, uh, you were more of a Fed fan—that would be higher, because Fed was taken for dead before that tournament. Like it wasn't just that he had a nine-month layoff; he was like he—he he was sort of um, petering out, and people thought he was going to retire before that nine-month layoff.
0: I think I think that match. Would be higher, except the three ahead of it are so amazing.
1: Fair enough. So, Peter, wh- where are you at for number three?
2: Number three? Um, let me let me orient myself. I'm going to go with the, uh, I think it was the 2018 Wimbledon semifinal, which was 10-8 in the fifth. Um, for all intents and purposes, that was the final. Um, <laughs> they knew it's, hey, don't, they don't it don't
0: disrespect that uh, gem of a Anderson Isner um, semi-final <laughs> on the other
2: side yeah. um, this had a lot of drama to it Um, this is one of those where it actually could have gone either way there was no like yeah this guy was better no it was like they were both at an equal level they, they both could have won and Um, there was just a ton of fight. It was, it was, uh, the Wimbledon setting made a huge difference. Um, every little edge mattered. Like the fact that they had play the final two, um, sets with a closed roof, like that may have been the, like even the marginal variables mattered in this one. Um, and I think that, uh, I think that, um, just the fighting spirit, the implications of the match. Philip mentioned that some of the matches might have mattered more in their younger years because they were building themselves, but I actually think in the later years it matters more because they all know now that they are fighting against each other for Grand Slam supremacy and every... and they don't know how much longer they have. In every battle that could have gone either... that could go either way, the, the winner... Um it's
0: a lot more than just a match. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like if not Rafa had won, yeah, there were so many times against both of these players where Rafa loses by just like a hair. And if he had won just one of those, like he would have the grand slam record right now. Heartless.
1: There's just there's so many what ifs. I mean, a couple things, couple sort of Recurring themes I see: Fed does not play particularly well when he's up two match points, and then in a final, and Rafa doesn't play particularly well when he's up in the fifth set at the Australian Open. Other than that, you know, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a just 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 weird little bugaboos that they all have. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure
0: back. in that Wimbledon semi, Rafa was up a break in the, the fifth as well, um, but I don't remember for sure. I just remember just being like my eyes were just like glued to my screen Uh, that entire i just remember the level was insane in that and yeah if 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 it just had the letter f instead of like sf next to it it might be like in 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 the real pantheon of greatest matches ever
1: that's a nice pantheon of pantheon so speaking of which and might get some disagreement here, but I have... uh, Well, no, no, no. My third is the 2010, speaking of double match point, the 2010 U.S. Open semifinal between... uh, That's when the Monster... Even though Novak did not win the U.S. Open that year, that was sort of the beginning of the Monster. Uh, I think he hit a swing in forehand to save the first match point and then another another big shot. When Novak took Fed, came back um, down 5-3 double match point and came back and won. 7-5 7-5 in the 5th, mainly because Roddick and others, you know, um, we're starting really getting on Novak's case for uh, what's, what's the term I'm looking for when somebody fakes a sickness, playing what? Malingering or a little bit? Not playing hooky, but I think it's being a bit of a malingerer, you know, sort of wheezing out of matches that he didn't think he could win or didn't look like he was going to win and feigning. He didn't he had too much gluten in the system. So I think it showed that, that Novak had a little bit more spine and from there even though he didn't he made he made a gallant fight against Rafa was it the next day or two days after that they played in the final but made made a good good show against Rafa in the final and then went on and won Australia from there no
2: that's a really good one and that that's one that was kind of lost in the annals of history before this past Wimbledon where it was like oh wait this is actually the second time Djokovic has beaten Federer when he was down a break and two match balls on Federer serve in the <laughs> And the first one was that, like, just incredible swinging forehand at the U.S. Open. And I I just remember that shot because it was an incredible return of serve and the crowd was just silent until Djokovic was like, like, come on, like, that was an amazing shot. (laughs) And then they, like, kind of had to give him his due. They are like, all right, all right. (laughs) And they cheered.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just remember uh, it feeling like he had given up, like, he was just like, whatever. I'll just hit this as hard as I can. Like, I think he had, I think he had his like, his brain was in the <laughs> locker room, and he was just sort of like as surprised as anyone else that that went in.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, as you all have seen, sometimes we play our best racket sports and we literally just don't give a shit, and it like, <laughs> just leads to some pretty fearless shot making.
0: Yeah. How about you, well, Peter?
1: Phil, sorry.
0: Well, Federer definitely gave a shit in the 09 Aussie Open final, which is my number three in their rivalry, because uh, he was actually crying. That's in the uh, trophy ceremony. I mean, this was also Rafa's only Aussie Open victory, so uh, has special significance to him. And I also think this was the highest level early career Nadal achieved. Like, so there are a few different peaks in Nadal's career. Um, and this was just like the peak of super athletic Nadal, um, like just before his injury, his knee injury. Um, and, uh, I think, uh, in that tournament, you don't just look at the final, which was an incredible five-set thriller, but you also look at the semis against Verdasco, which, uh, was also another five-set thriller. Um, and yeah, it was just, uh an unbelievable display. Um, and I think it's, uh, yeah, I think I, I rank it their, their third best um, battle.
1: I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious, you know what, after, after this, when we get, when we go off the pot, we'll have to cross reference what, how we've evaluated them and maybe they've done their own evaluation to be interesting. I bet there's probably at least 60% overlap with what we've chosen, but who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: Peter, we're down. Da- we're down. Da- we're down to. We're down to your finals. Yeah, you're number yes. two. My number two is. Um, there was
2: a I forget which year was uh, was I think it was twenty fourteen. Um, they had a French Open semifinal that was not – It was twenty
0: thirteen.
1: It was twenty thirteen. Yeah. Wait, let me see. Are you looking at it now? No, we remembered because twenty fourteen was uh, just. Uh,
0: I researched it before the pod. They
1: played in the final, yeah,
2: yeah. It was, it was, um, it was nine seven in the fifth. Uh, Djokovic was an animal, and and he, I don't think he's ever been more motivated to win a match that he turned out to lose, um, because he hadn't he hadn't won a French Open yet, and um, that was. I think he'd won a bunch of. Let's see, let's look at their head-to-head. He he he'd recently beaten Nadal on clay in Monte Carlo, um, and it was it was again like during sort of the peak part of Djokovic's prime. um, but he still hadn't beaten Nadal on clay, which was sort of his only test test remaining. And, I mean, in French Open, yeah, play.
0: yeah, not on, at, at Roland Garros.
2: At, at Roland Garros, and um, it was it was actually uh, there were just like a few moments that you just remember. Like there was an overhead um, where Djokovic, which would have given Djokovic an advantage in the fifth set, um, that he hit, but I think he hit the net at the or he like ran into the net or something, and. Um, that played a pivotal role. Um, there were a lot of moments like that where um, it was just kind of dumb luck that 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 uh, that separated them. But um, what what really is just sort of the dominant image and takeaway from that match was just Nadal's fighting spirit. He was just like, um, "You've beaten me everywhere else, but you haven't beaten me here." And he w- it was sort of like um, it was sort of like a like a, a general who's who's just unwilling to lose on his home turf um and what was actually kind of it, what, what I think ma- left this to number 2 instead of like lower down on the list was Nadal's reaction after the match it was it was as if he was actually surprised he won um, <laughs> he he had he had won like 7 French Opens at that point but he it, it, it was as if he'd like got into the match thinking he would lose, and he he um, he was like overjoyed by the fact that he outperformed even his own expectations.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I had at number two as well for that rivalry. Mark, what about Fed uh, Fed Novak? What do you have for that one?
1: So I'm not, I'm not going uh, back too far. Uh, just I'm going to go with the 2019 Wimbledon final. Of course, people could try. Pundits, people with, who think they have more scholarship than we have, and in fact have less, might say it was the best. But I really think the only thing that would qualify it as the best would be the fifth set. I'm not sure how high the well, the fact that I didn't really see much of the match. Part of part of my perspective.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I'm one of those. Um, I'm one of those people who w- said it was the best. So I'm curious what your best is. Uh,
1: but yeah, go only, on. I'm only basing it. My entire perspective of the match was based on a a tennis scholar's WhatsApp chat that I'm part of. I was in Ireland for the day, and just, you know, there's a few people I know in that chat who are big Nadal fans, and there's a couple who are, sorry, big Nadal fans, so they were just, you know, by by extension, were cheering for Fed, and then um, there were a couple Djokovic fans. I sort of got caught in the middle. I didn't really know who to cheer for because I'm a Djokovic fan who has huge respect for Fed, as, as we all do. So I know that the first four sets, I think that Djokovic would win every set he won in a tiebreaker, and then Fed did not win the tiebreaker sets. It goes to the fifth set. I think Djokovic was in control, and then Fed sort of broke back and then was up two match points, and then I lost Wi-Fi wherever I was. So I just assumed that uh, Fed had won, and then when I got Wi-Fi back, I, I just referenced the chat, and I'm seeing, holy shit, Djokovic has got even bigger balls than I thought. Holy cow! How did this happen? Just a bunch of and I was just trying to read between the lines, and I messaged you guys. No, 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 Djokovic, and then somehow we were able to make it to a to a little um, pub and see the tiebreaker. So I guess because it was the new format at Wimbledon, the fifth set in and of itself maybe makes it the best match. But I just didn't. I from what I could gather through the through the tea leaves, from first set to fifth set, it wasn't the best match they've ever played. But certainly the fifth set was the best set
0: yeah like that is actually the second best match ever i think um so i I don't know what your first best of theirs is but um, it was a
1: junior it was a junior match they played in scottsdale arizona (laughs) (laughs) one is 14 and the other one is 10. Uh, wow deep cut (laughs) So, so,
0: so, so
2: um mark i actually do see some of your points because um, it was clear that entire match that Djokovic was off. It wasn't his A plus game, but I do think that um, that may be the the most defining match of Novak's career, because um, he was a mental giant in every single moment that really mattered, and like he he lost the sets he lost easily, but he won all his sets in tie breaks, and he yeah. he even battled back down. Match balls on Federer's serve when he really, really, really needed it. It's true, true, true. And it's it's just this guy. He's his um the way he's able to will himself to victories in the tightest of matches against the best competition is just unreal. Um, and and he does it time after time after time. And he's in all these matches that people like outside observers sort of statisticians or, or, um, or sort of people who, who, um, a a lot of like tennis scholars out there would say could go either way, but he wins like 95% of those matches that could go either way. And, and, uh, like this match is just, it shows that even when he's not on his A game, he still has that sort of something special, um, that enables him to power through with the force of will.
0: Yeah, yeah F- no, they, Federer was <laughs> Federer was the better player. Like Federer, like if if like fate, like if if tennis were like meritocratic like 100%, like if the best player were to win like every time, Federer would have won that match in 3 sets. Like he was just like definitely the better player. But then after the first 3 sets it turned out that Novak was up 2 sets to 1. And then it was just like anybody's match, even though Federer was playing better.
1: So I'm going to, I'm going to just have to um, cut, do a quick chat and cut here because I have to teach an AP macro class online, which is really fun. So I'll just call my top two tied for first. Then well, the only reason why I, I slightly, um, scaled that one down was because I hadn't seen the match, So it was all based on hearsay, but, uh, my number one was the 2014 Wimbledon final, mainly because that's I've seen it every time I fly overseas. I keep watching that match over and over and over again. And because the grass, just the quality, and because I was getting a dog's eye view of the match, it just seemed like it was really high-quality tennis. I know that Joker had been a little bit flat in the French Open final against Rafa, even though maybe he knew he wasn't going to win anyway. But uh, I think Joker got, got his sort of mind turned around he, I know he didn't have the best U.S. Open after that, but I, it feels like, oh, I think that Fed came back from down 4-2 in the fourth. So Joker was up 2-1 and up either 4-2. Yeah, he was up 4-2 in the in the fourth, Joker, to close out the match, and, match and Fed came back at one. So I'm going to sign off from there, and I apologize to all of our fans who were you know, so pumped to have me um, give each match a little more exposition. But, uh... All right. Uh, that's it for me, guys, and, and I look forward to hearing. Anyway, to, to you guys, uh, can can I get a sneak preview at least? And I, I don't want to hear the, the explanation, but what's what's your sneak preview for your number ones?
0: Um, well, I think we know the Fed Nadal number one, and I think you know the uh, Rafa Novak number one. Um, my number two for Fed Nadal is Wimbledon 07, though. Um, when Nadal... Uh, was actually the better player he had lost in the 06 final and uh was like uh I don't know he was outplaying Federer but then ended up losing in five and he was really sad after the match because he 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 never saw himself as a grass court player um and he wasn't sure if he was ever going to get back in this position to win Wimbledon again um and yeah actually um it's hard to talk about 07 without also talking about 08, which is my number one match for that rivalry. Um, 08, I think, like, in terms of who deserved to win, it the years actually, like, flipped. Uh, I think Nadal deserved to win in 07. He was, like, the better player. But Federer ended up winning um, somehow. And then it was the opposite in 08, where... Um, where Federer, I thought, was actually the better player if you just look at the points and just, like, overall level. But Nadal just, like, came out with the trophy.
2: Yeah, I think the highest level reached in that 08 final was Federer in the third and fourth sets when he was forging back. Yeah. And just, just the drama of that match and how, like, rain delays interrupted it and how it really consumed an entire day and how the finale occurred right at dusk when the doll could just look like incredible going up into the stands and, and like, and uh, like, yeah, it, family, I think it's the, it's the aesthetic like element.
0: The, yeah, the aesthetic element, like actually like elevates that match to like sort of the mythology it's reached.
2: Yeah. But I do remember the 07 match very similarly to you. Um, and I was just thinking, I, I I think that, um, yeah, I thought Nadal was the better player during that match, and I think Nadal did too, and he was wondering if he'd ever get a shot like that again, and um, as luck would have it for him, um, he was able to inch it out in 08, um, even though he was probably not the better player in that match.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I guess we're down to you at number one for Nadal or Rafa, or for Nadal or Novak.
2: Yeah, so uh, no surprises here. It lasted five hours fifty three minutes. It was the two thousand twelve Australian Open fi- uh, final. I personally believe that it's the best match ever played. Um, I yeah, think there's that- a difference
0: between like greatest match ever played and highest level match ever played. And I I would say it's it's the highest level match ever ever played. played. Yeah.
2: And and I think it's, I think it's probably the greatest. I think it's for, to me, it's got both titles. Um, I mean, it was both, it was probably the, it was, it was um, Nadal and Djokovic at the peak of both of their powers. Um, They both still had their, like, like 98% of their athleticism from their younger years. Djokovic probably had 100, um, and they both had just the mental fortitude. Um, that was right in sort of the turning point years of their rivalry, so it wasn't as clear who had the mental edge over who. Um, Djokovic had just had a dominant 2011, and so it was sort of Nadal, um, N- Nadal's turn to like, he, I feel like, in recent years, Nadal has dreaded playing Djokovic, but it was it, that was back when Nadal actually looked forward to the challenge, still, um, just to see how he could do. Um, and I mean, it had everything. It was it, just the rallies, like the consistency of incredible rallies, is unparalleled. The extent to which they were painting lines, the speed and the of. Which, the speed and the um, pace and the reactions with which they were covering the court and and uh, hitting unbelievable shots, and then um, part of the theater at the end where there was this the sponsor who was giving like way too long a, a speech um, before the trophy ceremony, and they both couldn't stand up anymore and had to, and the ball boys. Were, were had to fetch chairs so that they could sit down. Um, uh, they had, they had, to, it was, it was one of the only matches I think I've ever seen. Maybe it's the only match I've ever seen where both all-time great champions were playing at a high, at at a championship level, and both had emptied the gas tank.
0: Like yeah. they were
2: both out of gas at the end of it.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of like. Other sports where that's true, like the best playing each other at the peak of their powers, and it turning out to be like an all-time clash, and nothing nothing jumps to mind um, in like a crossport comparison. But yeah,
2: even like, even during the the match, it was pretty obvious. Like I think Djokovic was battling like uh like fatigue related cramps at one point. Um, he there was a point where it was it was just like Titanic point when Adal ended ended it with a big forehand, and Djokovic just stayed on the ground with his like back to the sky for an extra long amount of time, just being like, not believing how tired he was.
1: <laughs>
2: um, and and Djokovic was down 4-2. Somehow he, he rallied to win, um, despite the physical ailments. And then just, he literally ripped his shirt remember like yeah Djokovic with that intense he ripped his shirt um at the end when he won i and, think if uh,
0: nadal could have one shot back in his career he was up 4-2 30 15 on his own serve and dumped a forehand to the net
2: yeah and uh yeah that match even though it didn't go go the way uh for for nadal and i'm a big Nadal fan. Um, I think that is the best match that's ever been played. Yeah. And certainly the best of
0: their rivalry. I think it's definitely the best of their rivalry. Um, yeah, I guess best ever played. I think Wimbledon, um, 08, Wimbledon, or Aussie 2012, and then Wimbledon 2019 are the three best matches. And you can just choose your order for those three. But, uh, yeah... I guess uh, now looking back, uh, are there any matches on any of the other guys' lists that you you had on or like feel were left out,
2: um, or, like, that, like, or just really especially significant? I think there was one. There was one Federer Nadal match where Federer was down to love and came back to win. Oh, uh, um, yeah, I think and,
0: it was Miami. Yeah, yeah, Nadal has never won Miami, probably because of that. Yeah. I guess I I put Rome in there instead, but that Rome match was pretty insane. Um, Yeah, for me, there was, uh, I guess, it's pretty insane that Djokovic beat Federer in the semifinals of the U.S. Open in both 2010 and 2011, 7-5 in the fifth, like, identical scorelines. Mark had uh, 2010 in there, but, like, 11 was also pretty awesome. And then in that rivalry as well, I think uh, it was a three-set match, but the Aussie Open in 08, the semifinal, was what really announced Djokovic's arrival um, uh, as, like, a force on tour. That um, was uh, on... on uh, uh, like, he had to beat Federer to get to the final and then win his first um, Grand Slam championship, and I think that was... A really important match for Djokovic's career and for just tennis in general because of what Djokovic has become. And then the last match that uh, wasn't mentioned is a Rafa Novak match. It was the Beijing Olympics semifinals in '08. Um, Rafa won six four in the third, in, like best of three. Um, I don't remember much specifically from the match other, but I it is like important and that if novak had won he probably would have won the gold medal and like the gold medal is like what rafa has that the other two don't so it's just like i think it it's probably one that like has really uh niggled djokovic for a very long time it's like oh if only i could have won that match like i would have had my olympic gold medal Yeah.
2: yeah so djokovic was actually having a uh Like some sort of Instagram live thing with Andy Murray um, earlier during quarantine. And he was asked what what matches he looks back on as his biggest disappointments. And the two he stated were uh, that Beijing Olympic final or semi final. Was it Beijing
0: or was it the the Andy Murray Olympic, the London Olympics?
2: So he said there were two. He said, I guess he said three matches. He said. The, the the match against Murray, the match against Nadal, and then the uh, then the French Open match where he lost to Stan.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and all three of those, like, you can sort of understand why he would have wanted those because he's never won an Olympics, and, uh, you know, he's only won one French Open, and uh, he had an opportunity to win one without playing Nadal in the finals. Yeah. Um, Yeah, he'd gotten past Nadal, and all he had to do was beat this guy he's, like, had a better career than, like, a significantly better career than, um, and he couldn't do it. But, yeah, maybe we'll profile that match in the next pod where we're going to talk about the best matches ever that were not clashes of the big three, Um, just because, yeah. Like uh, the rest of tennis needs some airtime and these guys would have just taken up so many spots on that list that we need two separate lists. Um, One of their rivalry and one outside of their rivalry. Um, And so, yeah, uh, that about does it for this one. Um, Let us know what you think on Twitter. We're at doubles alley pod. Yeah. Just send us some questions or your thoughts. If you, Disagree with us on certain issues or think we missed something, um, and yeah. Um, without further ado, I'm queuing it up. La Bamba. Oh, never mind. Well, uh, YouTube isn't um, participating, so uh, without further ado. Goodbye, listeners.